contrary to what my wife and family think, it's not dumb luck that I was able to turn my skill and knowledge into a seven-figure online business. There's actually method to my madness. In fact, it's called the Milk It Method, and I put together a free e-guide outlining the Milk It Method over at TomGaddis.com. So head over there, download your free copy now of the Milk It Method, how to turn your idea, skill, knowledge, or product into a huge cash cow. Here's just a little sneak peek of what you'll learn inside. You'll learn where to start. And by the way, almost everyone I know gets this wrong, which pretty much dooms them to failure before they even start. You'll discover why not being an expert is a huge advantage. That's actually on page seven. Plus, I'll show you how to get maximum profits from small customer lists and an easy checklist to systematize your business. You'll discover all that and much more inside my free e-guide, The Milk It Method how to turn your idea, skill, knowledge, or product into a huge cash cow. So head over to TomGaddis.com and download your free copy today. I'm excited about this episode of What's the Secret? Because today I'm going to be interviewing the $100 million man, Ian Stanley. And for those of you that don't know Ian, Ian has sold over $100 million of products and services online. He's the author of a new book called Confessions of a Persuasion Hitman, which is an incredible read. It's a quick read. I highly recommend if you haven't checked it out that you do. It's packed full of golden nuggets that you can implement pretty quickly in your business to increase profits and results. He's a master copywriter. And in this episode, we talk about business lessons of a lemonade stand. Ian's process of selling your sawdust, which you're going to love this. It is a quick way to add revenue to any business. We talk about, you know, instead of finding a blue ocean, looking for a pond and many, many other business tactics and strategies that you can apply right away to whatever it is you're doing to improve your results and, and increase profits. So grab a cool drink. This episode's a little longer than my normal ones, but we just had so much to talk about. And Enjoy this episode with Ian Stanley of What's the Secret Podcast. Tired of being at the mercy of your job? Tired of watching your hard work fill someone else's bank account? Want control of your time and lifestyle? Well, if you want the real secrets, the gurus won't tell you of how ordinary people just like you and me can create thriving businesses that deliver financial and lifestyle freedom you're in the right place. Aloha. My name's Tom Gaddis, and welcome to What's the Secret Podcast. Hey, aloha, and welcome to What's the Secret Podcast. Ian Stanley, how are you doing today? I am wonderful. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm looking out the window at the bright, sunny, you know, Hawaiian sunshine. So if you're going to be stuck someplace and you can't really travel, this is not a bad place to be stuck. Absolutely not. <laughs> how are you? Uh, how, I know you just recently moved to Idaho, right? I did. Yeah, I moved from LA to Boise, and uh, it's one of the best things I've done. It's unbelievable here. There's, you know, a lot of my life, and you know, it's part of what I teach and stuff too, is about actually doing fun stuff on a regular, more or less daily basis. And here, it's you know, there's a world class lake is 20 minutes from downtown. There's incredible hiking five minutes from everywhere. There's uh, you know, the river runs through downtown, you go paddleboard and float and there's just like, there's so much stuff to do here. We just bought a, uh, I bought a cabin 
we're, we're in Esco right now, so I probably shouldn't jinx that, but uh, up in Donnelly, which is about two hours away, it's on a lake. And it's just, there's just so much fun stuff to do here. And people are always outdoors doing stuff. And that's one of my favorite things is just being outside and doing fun stuff. And this is like the perfect place for it. I think Maui's kind of similar. It's a, it, you know, obviously beach instead of mountain, and you've got all sorts of beautiful stuff there. But there's, uh, you know, there's just that vibe of people who are like, yeah, we don't want to just sit in a house or an apartment all day. Like we want to actually go do stuff. And it's wonderful. Yeah, no, you're, you're, well, you know, it's interesting for me because I, uh, I got really late to wanting to do stuff outside. So like I just recently in the past year decided to start getting healthy and I lost a bunch of weight and started to do more stuff outside. And, uh, now I'm really, yeah, I'm really appreciating like what we have here even more to be able to just get outside and have the nice weather to be able to do that kind of stuff. If you're going to be in Maui, man, you got to be outside. That's the yeah. We actually thought about moving there when we had gone last time I thought about, for me, it'd be just like a few months out of the year, just because it's a little too far from, you know, to do stand up and comedy and stuff like that. It's a little bit too far removed, but man, is it a great place to just be outside and, you know, hike and surf and be in the water and, you know, it's, man, I can't believe you just started getting into it, but better late than never. Yeah, no, yeah, better better late than never. And, uh, well, it's interesting you mentioned stand-up comedy because I used to be a professional magician. And so I still really? do it on the side. And so, like, every year we do this um, we do this Maui magic night. We have three or four magicians we put on a show, sell tickets. It's a lot of fun. It gets a lot of traction here on the island because there's just not anything like yeah, you know, stuff like that that's never awesome. really go on. Yeah, you know, when the next one is, I mean, God knows when that'll happen, but maybe we'll have to make a trip out there and you, know, you can have a little stand up section or maybe I'll learn a bit of magic. I've thought about I've thought about learning some magic. I just uh, it's a weird time in your life to decide on that as, a, you know, I just turned 30 last month. And I feel like yeah, and this isn't the slide at magicians, but it's typically the people who get into magic are young kids. And they don't have a ton of friends and it's a way to get people to kind of like pay attention and, you know, get that to happen. There weren't a lot of like, you know, I remember in college, there was this one kid at my freshman year at SMU who would, he did magic and he was, I mean, it, you can't make this up. He was about five foot three, whisper thin, ginger, I mean, ginger hair, like orange pumpkin. He was odd and he rode a unicycle around campus. <laughs> And he would do magic and he's like, that's exactly who you think is going to be the guy doing magic. But it's interesting to me as a way to get people's attention, even on the stage to do some like joking tricks or something like that. Um, but I find I, Darren Brown is one of my favorite humans on earth. And I find him to be the mo one of the most fascinating people who's ever lived. And uh, his just, you know, his understanding of magic and persuasion and, uh, you know, all of the different things that he's into are just super fascinating to me the way that you can tell stories and his stage work is just incredible yeah darren is i think one of well he is i consider him the best magician alive today like i mean i think he's just he's taken it to i mean he's reminded us why magic is an art like you watch his shows you you see what he does and it's an experience right you feel that feeling mm -hmm. of oh my god this might actually possibly could this really be real like you you get that experience 
And well, that's and what's interesting that this came up even is Darren to me. So it's funny because in America, so you know, I'm half English and half American, which means everyone thinks I'm Australian because of my <laughs> weird accent. And uh, but in England, Darren Brown's a household name. I mean, he, you know, everybody knows Darren Brown. In America, he's relatively unknown still, even though he did the new Netflix. Uh, he did a couple of specials for Netflix now that have you know that have done well. But he's one of, in my opinion, the best copywriters who's ever lived. Um, and so I, I think of his stuff from the sense of, and salespeople, he's so good at selling and persuasion. It's unbelievable. And he's not selling anything other than to continue watching the show. Uh, but he's also had a huge impact in my life. I've been working on this book called, uh, how to get lucky. And a lot of it stemmed from this documentary he did called, uh, the secret of luck. And it's so fascinating. And I, the, the toughest thing about Darren Brown is when you tell people to go watch, his stuff, you can't tell them the ending because you'll ruin the entire thing. But the ending is so good that that's how you try and get them to watch. Like, I can't tell yeah. you, but you go watch. I've, t- I've made so many people watch that because it's it's so transformative. But his what he does at the beginning of a video is he asks you a question that you have to know the answer to. And you can't stop watching because like the one that was big on net, that was made for America uh, on Netflix is um, Sacrifice. Right. And so the question, the very first thing he says is, I was wondering, could I get somebody to take a bullet for a complete stranger? And you go, well, <laughs> well, I got to know. I got to know where yeah. he goes. Can I get someone to kill a person they've never met just hours later? And you go, well, I don't know. <laughs> OK, I'll watch, you know. Um, and so. Uh, sorry, my girlfriend is at, she's called me back. Cause I was like, where's the link? I was trying to find the link for the podcast. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to, but, uh, but basically, um, I just find him so fascinating and, and it's interesting how he blends so many things. And I also think what he does that's so well, and it relates to what I teach around making money and persuasion and sales is, um, you know, I had this moment, I was talking to a guy named David Deutsch, who's like a legendary sort of copywriter. Um, and this is years ago when I was pretty unknown and, and we were on this call and had this realization that the difference between B-list copywriters and A-list copywriters and salespeople is that they address objections before or as they arise. So most salespeople wait until the objection comes up. And then they'll address it. Now, the problem is in written word and stuff, you can't get the objections from the person. So you have to be able to think as before or as they arise to address them. That's what Darren Brown does with his magic is he takes you through every objection you didn't even know you had before he does it. He goes, all right, now I'm about to lay and then eat this, uh, lay on this these shards of glass and then eat them. And you go, there's so many things that it could be, right? Maybe they're not real glass. Maybe they're this or that. And then he goes through about five different things to prove to you that it is, in fact, real glass to the point you're like, this isn't, it can't be a trick. He's just eating glass, which is also one of my favorite. Ricky Gervais is talking to uh, David Blaine on one of David Blaine's, you know, magic things. And, you know, David's gotten weird, but he's, there's a point where he's just sticking a needle into his arm. And Ricky's like, you know, he does his things. He's like, I'm trying to figure out your trick. And he goes, but David, he goes, that's not a trick. You're just sticking a fucking needle through your arm. <laughs> like there's no magic. There's just what the fuck are you doing, David? 
He's like, why are you, what are you, you know, and it's like, it's at some point, like, that's what they do differently, I think, is it's like, it becomes not a trick anymore. It's like, whoa. They're yeah, doing well, you know, when remarkable. you, when you understand the kind of like the psychology behind all of that stuff, um, you know, we have this thing. So one of my mentors in magic, one of the things that uh, he used to always tell me is like, when you're structuring a trick, and this can be true for a sales argument too, like, what you're aiming for is you're always aiming for what he called the ideal situation. And the ideal situation is the worst possible view for the person watching, but the pe best possible situation for you. So what, how that translates to a magic trick is like, you may be watching a trick and to you, all the cards that I'm holding are black and there's one red card in the middle. But the reality of that situation is all the cards are the red card. And so now you're in the worst possible situation because you have a belief of how things are, but that belief is totally wrong. Yeah, it's totally wrong from what the, the real situation is. So in a minute, when right. I show you they're all red, to you it just looks impossible because how could that, like, it just can't be. It's, it's wild. Do you watch magic then? Do you enjoy it or does it ruin it that's what I, i've wondered that for magicians do they watch no, and just go well you know? i mean it makes it hard to watch bad magicians but like in darren a, in yeah. darren brown's case um i think it actually enhances it because you know sometimes i know the techniques and things he's doing and to see the way that he weaves those in to his presentation and his persona and just the flow of everything is like sometimes i look at that and you think oh why didn't i think of that like i mean it's just so perfect you know i think it gives you a yep. better appreciation for it and i think you would find if you if you started to look looking into learning magic even though you know you're not younger it's like i think a lot of kids get into it for what you're talking about the attention but there's a lot of um people that get into magic late in life and do even better because they have a more mature view of things and they're not just doing it to be like, oh, look at me. Like they're learning it for yeah. a reason, right? Well, and I, I think that what's interesting is nowadays, especially, you don't have to be one thing if you're going to be some sort of stage presentation or like a performer. You can be multiple things. It's like even in the realm of stand-up, like I've got a buddy, JP Sears, um, who's, you know, he's got a ton of viral videos and all this different stuff now, but he does stand up and that's a lot of the income that he makes or made pre COVID. Um, and he never did an open mic in his life. He just started doing his own shows and people kind of, it's not pure. He doesn't call it stand up, although that's essentially what it is. He calls it, you know, stage performance, but essentially if you combine and, and there's, there's another, there's a book that I've pretty much finished now called how to not be boring. And that's one of my biggest rules of marketing is don't be boring. So many people are boring and they just do the same things other people have done. I, I don't believe there's such thing as a saturated market in the world. I think there's just bored markets. You know, people went, Oh, taxis, that's saturated. It's like, no, people have, they're bored with taking these dirty taxis with, you know, people that don't know where they go and yelling at you. So Uber comes along and it's going to do incredibly well. They shake it up and it's not boring. You know, it's a private car, a private driver for everyone. And then, uh, Naval Ravikant, who, uh, he, I just love the way he thinks 
he talks about luck and different stuff and how it affects money. And he has a, he also talks about being boring. He says, you know, if you, if you go to a circus and you see somebody riding a unicycle, you go, oh, it's interesting. If you see a bear, you go, that's interesting. But if you see a bear riding a unicycle, now that's interesting. Interesting happens when you combine things that aren't supposed to be combined. And so what intrigues me is the idea of, you know, uh, there was one, I was watching America's Got Talent uh, this last year, and there was this Australian guy who was a comic, and he would sort of make it funny. And he didn't, it wasn't weird, like, he had a he had a, some charisma about him that was like funny and sort of storytelling. He would tell a unique story within a five minute thing about or a three to five minute thing, you know, that, that had magic involved. And it was so unique and different. And I think that's what intrigues me is I don't want to be the best magician. I don't want to, you know, but if you could weave in a few odd little things into a stand up show, it doesn't have to be pure stand up. Once you're at the point you're doing your own shows, you can make it whatever you want. You can be interesting in whatever way. That's why there are musicians, you know, comics who also do, you know, perform songs and stuff. And that layers them and creates something unique. And people tend to be attracted to people who don't seem to make sense, you know, that out of the box person. So I do think it would be fun. I'd love to learn just a couple of tricks. And I, what I, I find is just so fascinating, the storytelling, the way that they weave stories into their tricks and and all like the way that you frame things and all that, because certain you could see the same trick by two different magicians. One of them you're like, eh. and the other one it's fascinating and you know grabs your attention because of the way that they tell it or the way they perform it. Yeah, no, that that's absolutely true. There were a couple things you when you were talking there that just like struck me about what you were saying. One is you know in your book Confessions of a Persuasion Hitman, you talk about the name. A persuasion hitman like what is that like separating yourself outside of the box right and that happens even in magic because like steve martin i don't know if you know this but steve martin was a magician yeah and he would do magic in his comedy show the problem was like once people started saying he was a magician he was boxing himself into lower rates because the magicians were way down yep. on the pay scale and so yep. like he cut it all out because it was like boxing him in. Right. So that's same thing with your friend with the stage performance, right? Like you're not. Yeah. It's like, well, he, well, and he, you know, he calls it a show, whatever it is, but it's, it's essentially stand up. but he even, he almost, it's, it's for him, it's almost out of respect for the fact that he hasn't gone and done the open mic. Like it's, the reality is it's different to make a room of people laugh that are you. That's why when you watch, you watch comics, man, and it's still on, you see them on Netflix that have a full theater, and then not funny. And I go, how are these people laughing at this shit? This is not funny. And it's like they're taking the absolute best fans and putting them in a room. If you can make your best fans laugh, that's wonderful. It's it's you know it's rewarding and all that. But you got to know how to go into a room full of people who've never met you, who might at the side of you, like for me, not like you at all, and then be able to get them to laugh. That's that's the skill. That's the real like, you know. The, the art of stand-up is getting people that have never heard of you to laugh um, within seconds or minutes of, of first seeing you on stage. Um, and I do think it's, you know, Steve Martin, and he combined stuff that wasn't supposed to be combined in the way that he did stand-up. And he filled stadiums before that was a thing. I and mean, then he filled a football stadium for stand-up, you know, yeah, with the way that he Yeah, his story is really things. amazing. He's, you know, a fascinating guy. And it's, uh, but 
and even back to the persuasion hitman thing too is yeah i mean i started out as a copywriter and so you know i wrote words that sold stuff and then you realize that if you're a copywriter you're getting charged what all the other copywriters are you know you're charging what other copywriters are charging and you also you fall into all of their pitfalls now if somebody said well magicians are unreliable people now if you call yourself a magician now you're automatically lumped in if you're a if you're a contractor right people know construction workers oh they never get stuff done on time so you get lumped into whatever everybody who's come before you so if you create your own category like i did as the persuasion hitman now i mean i think that's what's on the back of the book what you're talking about is i say what does the persuasion hitman charge what do they do whatever the fuck i want because i'm right. the only one so that's that's what i charge and it's uh you know, it's it's just it's interesting how people it can help you in the beginning to box yourself into something so that people know what you do. But as you expand, you want to create your own category so that you can separate yourself and charge what you want and be an individual where you you get to charge your own rates because you're not being compared to anything else. That was actually one of the most interesting things I heard about selling to rich people like the mega wealthy is that you don't compare things because you, you create something that's separate. So your selling isn't done based on comparison. It's done based on separation. So you wouldn't compare a BMW and a Ferrari because they're not comparable. One exists in its own category uh, or even more relevant, a Bugatti, right? It exists in its own separate category. You don't have to go, well, if you compare it to a BMW X5, you know, X3 or, you know, three series or five series, you'd go, well, why would you compare the two? They're not similar. So it's like, how can you separate completely? to create your own sort of unique uh, market. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really key. I know that was one thing we did in my other company early on. Like we had to look at what other people are doing and say, how do we differentiate ourselves, right? Like we decided to become the foot in the door people. Like we were just gonna show, we were just gonna teach people how to get their foot in the door and get their first clients, right? Cause that was a big yeah. pain point for the market. And so yep. when you, you know, you look at any of the products we've put out that they've all been that angle. And now our customers and our community, like they just expect that stuff from us. Right. And it, right. it gave us a focus and a, like we were able to see the next thing to do. This episode of what's the secret podcast is sponsored by offline sharks, offline sharks, where website designers, social media experts, SEO professionals can get custom software tools and training on how to quickly scale and grow their digital agencies. If you're looking to build reoccurring revenue into your agency and go from one to two clients to six figures and beyond, Offline Sharks is the place to do it. So head over to offlinesharks.com forward slash Tom and start growing your agency today. I'll say one thing for the listeners, like if you haven't picked up Confessions of a Persuasion Hitman, you should definitely do that. So I, Ian, I just read this cover to cover yesterday. So I've had it sitting oh, on my really? nightstand. I or, I ordered it and I had it sitting on my nightstand. I was like, I got to read that before I do the interview. And then it was like, all of a sudden I was like, holy crap, it's Sunday. And, um, but it's <laughs> like, I mean, it's like super great. Like there's so many things in here that I was just like nodding you know, nodding my head as someone who's done product launches, who's been able to sell a few things online. It's like, I mean, your story about the lemonade stand, you had me, well, the lemonade stand made me jealous because first I thought, I don't have any stories from my childhood. Like that was, 
not me as a child. Like I was not the entrepreneurial, like let's just start a business type of a kid. Right. Um, and so at first I was jealous, like, God, it's so, it sucks. I don't have any stories like this. And then I started thinking about, um, you know, being a magic, like the thing I did when I was younger was like, I got interested in a subject and I just went relentlessly as deep as I could in that subject. And, um, you know, what that allowed me to do, like I learned a lot of the same lessons, like the not trading time for money, because as a magician, I realized I could go to a 30 minute show. I could make like 250 bucks when my friends were poking away for, you know, five bucks an hour at a job. It was right. like, this is the life I want. Right. And so I think that's the, just that story, the lemonade stand, I mean, all the things you have in here, the 13 rules and all that stuff are really great. So I encourage anybody to to pick this book up. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. And it's cool that you read it in a day, too. I get that a lot as people will read it uh, and it's thin, you know, it's yep. like a the way that we print it. It's a thin book. So people travel with it and they'll read it on planes. And one of my greatest on is uh, Mike Geary, who, you know, he's been on, he was on Tim Ferriss's interviewed by him way back before he even had the podcast. And he does, you know, he's sold. God knows how much uh, in the health space. And he's become a close friend of mine now, but he, um, he doesn't, he doesn't emote a lot. And so getting him to laugh when I'm in person always makes me happy. Cause you, you know, as a, as a comedian, you get to the point where making people laugh that are easy to make laugh is great, but making people laugh that don't laugh easily, that's even better. And so like, ironically, I was, my girlfriend doesn't, she, she'll, t- you know, she doesn't find me particularly funny. She really likes my standup actually, but she laughs at my stuff less than any other person. And of course, who would I choose to date? But the one person who's like, you know, and I'm sure there are other people who don't find me funny, but you know, but her, you know, whereas there are plenty yeah. of girls who laugh all the time at, at, at my stuff. And so, um, but it's, he said that he read my book, he was on the plane and he was laughing out loud. And that made me very happy, just that image of him actually laughing from a book. Because I, I remember when I I, used, I read, I still read probably at least about a book a week. But I used to read in college, I would read three to four books every week. I was, I'd read for hours every day. I love reading. I think it's part of what ended up making me a good writer. Um, and I read growing up. And then I read Tucker Max's books when I was, uh, you know, in college and i just i would laugh out loud and then uh, i think justin something wrote shit my dad says and i would laugh out loud i remember i'd laugh on planes I w- i'd read the book on a plane and i'd feel like a, a murderer you know when you're just sitting there looking at something and just laughing you feel yeah. weird but it sort of reshaped that for me that belief that oh you can actually make somebody laugh from a book like i never thought that was possible and so it's fun you know that that lemonade stand story i had a great time writing it and i I had a lot of fun with it. And so I, I always hope that people are sitting there, you know, at least if, if nothing else, you know, there's all the, the value is in all the set, the lessons and the things in there. But my goal is to entertain at the same time and to, and to move people through the book quickly. And that's, what's cool is people will read the book in two hours and then they'll read it. I, a lot of people now they read it multiple times. They go through and they highlight a bunch and it's cool because, you know, you get caught up in this idea of, a book has to be a few hundred pages and it's got to get published by a, you know, a proper publisher and it's got to do all stuff. And so what I'm leaning towards now is writing just a lot of short books. Uh, the book I've read the most times in my life is 
as a man thinketh and it takes 30 to 45 minutes i used to read it every for, for a period of my time uh, a period of my life i read it every morning i read that same book every morning for 21 days my life changed dramatically and it was because the book was only 50 pages that you could continue to you know i think a lot of time i reread the surrender experiment all the time yeah and, i love that book by uh, the way uh, it's the it's maybe the best book ever it's a life-changing book so I mean, it, it can be yeah. for the people who decide there's so many people who've read it and I'm like, Oh, you don't surrender at all. And for me, it's become that's that, yeah. you know, I talk about it in the book as well. It's become the pursuit of my life as every minute is based around the idea of surrender, but I'd rather reread the same book 10 times than continue. So many people are in this idea of consumption and new information. I'd rather get really good at some basic information. You know, it's like sort of advanced if there's basics and advanced basics. And, uh, and so, you know, one of the ads that's performed best selling that book is I do the, you know, I do these parody characters. I have uh, Ly Topaz and Kent Gardone and Barry Grindichuk. And we've had an ad running for Kent Gardone and the, and the title says, read this book 10 times. And that ad's been our best performing ad. And so, you know, I talk about the 10X principle, you know, 10X everything. But what I would recommend is, you know, instead of buying 10 books once, you know, buy, read, buy this book once and read it 10 times. And, uh, but I actually believe that I think it's nice to be able to really cement home sort of these topics and these lessons rather than going and learning a bunch of little things from a bunch of people. You really like decide to sort of master something. It's like with, with magic, that's what I think fascinates me the most about it. And this is why I would have been a terrible magician as a kid is I'm so lazy and I'm so like, I mean, I, you know, I played tennis in college and we won a national championship and I, played four hours a week when everybody was doing four hours a day and i just you know i didn't learn work ethic and uh and magicians though sometimes you go oh they're talented at this for the most part they're just so obsessed with one thing like darren brown learning i mean learning how to pick out a, a grain of rice out of a bowl like you think there's a trick the trick was countless hours of practice that was the trick. The whole trick was that he was willing to keep going. Like, I think magic takes so much discipline. Well, There's so much effort that goes into learning something. Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that because I like, you know, I found magic enjoyable. So it was fun to put all that stuff in there. But when it came to business and other pursuits, I'm just like you, man. I am like, I'm a recess kind of guy. Like I do yes. not, I do not want to sit down and work for 12 hours a day and, nope. you know, and I was always, you know, so I'm 47 and I, you know, I recently just in the past seven years, like got it together and started having success. And I think one of the biggest differences between that past time and this time is that, you know, before I was always, I was always looking for the advanced thing. Like, I didn't want to read the fundamentals. Like, no, give me the, right. give me the shortcut. Give me the, it wasn't until I stopped doing all that. And I said, you know what? I need to really get good at a few things. Like, stop trying to mm -hmm. learn all the advanced stuff. Like, let's just do the basics. Like, let's just prospect every day. Let's like, you know, let's get some consistency that things really started to, you know, turn around for me. And I, I think that's such a huge thing that so many people overlook just getting good at the fundamentals, getting good at, you know, one thing like, and the other part of it is just getting good at one thing first and then moving to the next one thing, thing first, like the 80, 20 principle, man, yeah. you pick the thing that's going to make the difference. It's funny. Cause you have, you know, I can see the books oh, behind you. I yeah. see there's traction. 
it's good. You've got four hour body and there's range and, uh, and range was actually the, I was reading that book when I finally, I wrote this newsletter about leverage. Cause I had, I'd been asked by an employee of mine. He said, how do you identify leverage? Cause I talk about it, but then I'm like, and then I try and teach him and he just doesn't seem to find it. And I was like, I don't know if I can teach this. And I was actually reading that book range and I leapt up from the couch and went and wrote this newsletter. Cause I finally figured out how to identify how to teach other people how to identify leverage. And I've always viewed the world through that lens of the 80-20 principle and leverage. And it's, you know, even when I I, I wrote this in-depth thing in this newsletter about alcohol and how I would purchase the most effective alcohol um, in college. And it was based on a a very uh, legitimate mathematical formula that I had that was uh, volume of alcohol times the alcohol volume. So the actual volume of alcohol within it by the price and so you would go and you'd look and you'd see keystone light which is what everybody's buying is 15 dollars for a 30 pack and you got 4.2 percent and then you'd look at keystone ice which is 5.9 percent and same price and same size cans and everything and you go well i'm getting 50 percent more alcohol per dollar that I'm spending here. So now I'm, I'm going to go and, and leverage that. And then you get older and start to grow the fuck up and stop basing your decisions off of that. But it was just, uh, it was about leverage. It was about what made the most sense. And so, you know, also with Tim Ferriss's book, the, you know, the 80, 20 principle, him and him talking about the 80, 20 principle and Parkinson's law in the four hour work week. You know, I was, I must've been 18 when I first read that book. And that was a huge shift to be 18 and be and to learn that stuff was incredibly valuable um and that's a lot you know learning that the amount of work the amount of time i allot to do my work i'm going to expand the work into that time so those two things have been transformative for me uh just understanding leverage and focusing on that one thing and that was sort of that's something i've talked about the persuasion hitman stuff is it was when i went from trying to do everything online like everybody else like build the products write the copy do the customer service run the ads this to go and I'm going to get good at one thing that thing was writing and then I ended up getting paid a lot to write and then I've expanded out from there but when you try and get good at everything at once you'll get good at nothing and when you try to get good at one thing you'll get great at it and so you pick that skill you want to learn online that side income that you want to create or the the full business you want to create become a master at that one skill and then once you've mastered it then you can move on to the other skills but you're going to get paid really well to do that one thing and all those people who are trying to do everything is still broke. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's so true. Everything you just said, it's like, I, um, you know, one of the reasons I wanted you on the, the podcast, so, so bad. And it's interesting that you're even here, how this all fell into place. Like you probably have no idea <laughs> of what was kind of like just happened in the background. Like I literally, uh, a few weeks, well, not a few weeks ago, probably a month or two ago. Like I had no idea who you were. Right. Like I had seen this this ad on Facebook for your book and was like, yeah, I just skipped over it. You know, I went on to my own thing. And then uh, I got an email from somebody and they were they were talking about your 50 sales in 50 days. And one of the things we're trying to do at my company is we're trying to start running paid traffic. And I've been the one trying to figure that out with the team. So I signed up for that course and it was really awesome. And I ended up you know, getting some other things of yours, like your newsletter on luck. I read that. That was fantastic. 
Um, awesome. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah. Your 80, 20 email course, I think is phenomenal. Um, and so then along the way, like I met Ed Ray, we hired him at our company to help us with some Facebook stuff and he knew you and then, oh, awesome. yeah, he was working for us. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, yeah. I also started doing your money meditation, right. And some of the things you had there. And the next thing I know, like I'd contact, I'd come into contact with Ed Ray, had hired him. Uh, I saw uh, another friend of yours, Stefan, who you just put out a course with, right? On yep. freelance writing. Yep. Didn't know him either. Yep. And I was like, how am I going to get these guys on the podcast? And the guy who does my podcast is like, oh yeah, I'm helping Stefan with his road to a billion. And I was like, really? So he connected me to Stefan. And then I leveraged having Stefan on the show to tell your team. I was like, yeah, yeah. My girlfriend, she does the customer service. She's like, oh, this guy's got is that Stephen Whitney coming on the show. Do you want to do it? Yeah, it's Whitney. Yeah. That's my girlfriend. Yeah. And she, uh, <laughs> and she goes, do you want to do it? I was like, yeah, let's go. So I, you know, yeah, that was, I, I'll do, I'll do podcasts for the most part. Cause I do think it's an element of luck as you read, you know, I have the five, the five core types of luck and the second type is exposure luck, which is early on in any sort of career phase, you decide that you're going to expose yourself to as much stimuli as possible because the more you expose yourself to different stimuli the more likely you are to get lucky uh, and i think podcasts are this weird thing where even if somebody's got a hundred listeners or a thousand listeners on a podcast you don't know who they are and who what one person is then going to reach out and end up making you hundreds of thousands of dollars from you know this 30 minute one hour you know whatever it is and i also really enjoy doing them um but it's funny how all of that works out and Ed is the one who, you know, he helps manage the show as well with Stefan on the road to a billion. Yeah. Um, and so it's, you know, it's cool to see all of the weird stuff. I'm curious if anything else happened to you at the money meditations. We have the weirdest stories. I get testimonials every day from people who are like, I did the money magnet meditation and I was like, this is bullshit. And then three days later, $3,000 showed up in my account and I don't know where it came from. I mean, those stories are commonplace now. That's what's so weird. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, it has, I mean, there has been some, there's been some amazing things. Like I was doing it every day. Like we were getting ready to launch a new product at the end of June. And I was doing that money meditation every morning, you know? And uh, I don't know, we had our best product launch ever. We did like 4,000 units in four days, you know? Wow. And uh, then we, you know, we were doing some other things and I've been doing that like, even just the short version, I just find that like when I do it, no matter what I go to do, it just seems to come easier, whether that's working yeah. on something that relates somehow to the, you know, or I get ideas or connections. It just, I just feel way more relaxed. Right. And yeah. Which one have you been doing? Are you doing the money tree? Or the, the money, money tree. Magnet? I've been doing the money okay, tree. Yeah. And that's the, that's the free one too. That's not even the, yeah. the I can't one. remember oh, how I, people actually, some people like that one more than the money magnet. It's all preference. It's what you like. So, so that's actually, I think, I think I might even have it for download moneytreemeditation.com. If you go there, you might be, I think you can opt in and all, and you get it for free. So I would, you know, that's something I was curious about. I didn't know if the money magnet was different because I have a hidden money one too. I don't know what, yep. where I got that. So there are They're there different. three. Yeah. There's three primary money ones. Now there's the money tree, which has a short and a long version um, a lot of people just really like the imagery in that one and people feel very good. I basically have a process for, for meditations that works sort of across the board of whatever it is that somebody wants in their life. Um, I can't exactly 
say how I discovered that it, this because it's a weird combination of essentially uh, sports visualization, uh, blood flow movement from uh, basically stuff I learned from ninjutsu and from like a Japanese uh, you know ninjutsu master combined with the movie Inception. Um, and then it's like it's very very bizarre but the the type of stuff i mean and then people people will have like transcendent uh emotional experiences where they end up crying or they end up like having all of this crazy joy and all of this stuff come through and it's basically it's it's formulaic in the sense that i know the steps that i need to take someone through in order to create this uh it's just been so bizarre the results i could have never ever guessed the type of results that would happen for people but the money tree uh, I do the money magnet every day and then I do it my second self. And then sometimes I'll do the money tree and then the hidden money one is designed to help people notice new opportunities. So it all basically, it's based on uh, what's called the reticular activation system, which is basically the easiest way to explain it is, you know, so I just bought a, I just bought a Ford Raptor, which is this, you know, big, that, you know, $80,000 truck yeah. that, you know, you notice on a road, but I had never really paid attention to trucks. I've been, you know, I'm English. I've had Jags my whole life. And then we decided we were moving to Boise. And two days later, I went and bought a truck and was like, let's, you know, let's do this. And now not only do I notice Raptors, also, there's a funny thing. There's like a Raptor wave. So like anytime somebody in a Raptor is driving by me, they give this like two fingered wave off of their steering wheel. Um, but I notice all the Raptors, but I also notice all the other trucks. And you don't know, I didn't notice trucks ever before because they weren't in my uh, in my reticular activation system. So people go, oh, I bought a new car. And now they suddenly be like, there's way more of these on the road. There's not more of them on the road. You're just aware of them now. So what happens is, is when you meditate and you follow the, the money meditations, you basically are retraining your nervous system to notice money. Um, and you're stimulating your mind with that. And so there's actually, there's a great quote by, uh, Paul, um, or Gene Simmons. Uh, who's the you know the the guy from Kiss? And he said, if you wake up thinking about money and you go to sleep thinking about money, you're going to make more money. And there's absolute truth to that. But if instead of just waking up thinking about it and going to bed thinking about it, if you wake up and you do a meditation that reprograms money in your mind, it shifts the actual way that you see the world. So you may walk. Uh, as a, as an example, I, when I used to start doing these back in the day, way before I taught this stuff, I would have the most bizarre shit happen to me. Like that day. I remember one of the first times I started doing it, I found $40 on a staircase in a hotel. And then the next day found $10 in a bathroom floor at a bar and then received a, a $24 check, $24 and like 73 cents from EA sports to this day. No idea why I received that. I've received checks from urgent care going, you overpaid. And I go, when has a medical company ever decided that you overpaid for something? Right. And these bizarre things. So part of it is some sort of weird vibrational thing that shifts and the other thing is so like whitney and i were walking along uh by the beach in in la where we used to live and she was walking in front of me and i was you know about four feet behind her and she walked right past it and then i noticed on the floor just a one dollar bill and what's interesting is we both walked by that dollar bill and i'm the only one who saw that so and there's a great part in the secret of luck where without giving away what happens there they basically lay 50 pound note on the ground next to this guy who doesn't believe in luck and he walks straight past it and it's right in front of him and so your mind's not conditioned to see money and so when you recondition it you start to notice opportunities and find them all around you yeah we even have a little um 
an exercise at the end of Confession of a Persuasion Hitman, a little uh, to-do yeah. item that uh, I haven't done it yet because I just read the book yesterday, but I was like, oh, Do that's going to be interesting. You'll be, you'll be shocked. I'll even give it away in this, but basically you go and you give away $20. And it's what's funny is people don't want to take it. You learn that you, you have to sell somebody free money. <laughs> like, why are you giving me this? What are you doing? And a lot of people cop out. I get uh, people who will say, oh, I found this on the ground. I think you dropped this. Which is kind of, hey, you did what you had to do, but it's kind of, it's not, it's not the purpose. The purpose is you give that money out and you start to believe in money as more of an abundant resource and you give it for the sole sake of giving it and really weird stuff happens. And what I'll do is if I give away money, I imagine 10 times that amount coming back in my mind. I just imagine it. And then the next day, something weird will happen and it'll just show up. And I'm like, this is, you can't make this shit up. I mean, you could make it up. It would just be pretty unethical and weird. Um, but it's it's happened so many times, and I get so many testimonials that it's like it's very bizarre. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I know I said this interview is going to be short, and we've like been talking away for a while. Uh, I did want to I did want to bring up one last thing because you have this. I just think this would be really great for our listeners, and it's uh, a I don't know what you would call it. It's something you call it selling your sawdust. So I thought maybe you could just give our listeners a quick little um, kind of overview of what that is and then maybe let them know where they can find out more information about your book, which I definitely recommend people pick up and uh, anything else you want to tell them. Yeah. So um, selling your sawdust, it basically comes from a very real example of selling actual sawdust. So basically um, these guys who worked at lumber yards, they would, you know, they cut wood, there's all this sawdust and they would either burn the sawdust or they would throw it out into the forest. Um, and it was basically this big waste. It was, it was a byproduct of the work they were doing and they viewed it as this sort of nuisance. And then one day some clever guy was like, I wonder if we could sell this, if anybody wants to buy sawdust. And it turns out they could sell it for like, or maybe it was 50, 50 bucks per ton or something or, you know, whatever it was. And so suddenly every week they're selling $1,500 worth of sawdust that they used to just throw away. And so they did no additional work, but they made an extra $6,000 a month or whatever it was, you know, in this particular case. And so I realized that I could do this with my work. And so I have, you know, I, I write a lot of emails, I write a daily email. And so what I do at the end of each month is I take my five best, temp, my five best emails, turn them into templates and I sell those and it's, it's 57 a month now. And so I make about 10 grand a month from an hour, it takes me an hour a month and I make 10 grand from that and it takes me one hour. Now I did that with the unit is I have this $4,000 a year membership and I write this newsletter out and I finally made it available for a hundred bucks a month to get just the newsletter. Zero extra work on my part. I'm already writing the newsletter and we added, I don't know how many people, but it's probably five to 10 grand a month now that'll come in from zero extra work. And so I actually teach, I have a course thing on how to sell your sawdust. And basically it's how to get paid for things you're already doing. To so many people, they try and create new income, but it requires more work. So whenever I try and create a new income source, I think, how can I do this without having to do any work? Or one of my big rules, how to get, never get paid for something only once. So how do you do work once and then get paid for it forever? So that's kind of the idea is how do you, something you've sold before, how do you continue to sell it again and again without having to you know, do any more work again, which is another one of the great things about email is you write an email once, then you can put it into an autoresponder and it can make you money for the rest of your life. 
Um, so in the actually it's in the, the almost passive income challenge. So I think it's almost passive income challenge.com. We have a challenge that's uh, it's a dollar to join and, and the dollar goes to charity. Uh, and you can actually get the hidden money meditation there as well. And then the sawdust is one of the upsells there, how to sell you sawdust. But, um, you know, that's kind of my, my whole focus is at this point is helping people make more money in less time while having more fun. And so what that comes down to is how do you create almost passive income sources? So things that take anywhere from an hour a day to an hour a week to an hour a month and that are focused on what I call time independence. So most work that people do is, is what I call time dependent. So you have to put in more time to make more money or you have to be present. When I was coaching tennis, you know, I was getting paid 70 to $100 an hour when I was 22 years old. But if I wasn't on the court, I didn't get paid. So it was all about how to create income that's not dependent upon me working. And that's become the focus of our whole company and, and everything that we do. And it's been, you know, it's been really cool to see people start to understand that shift because we're so conditioned through society to, to trade our time for money. And it's not the path to wealth. Yeah, well, that's so true. I know one of the things we do in my other company is that we have this Facebook group that gets a lot of participation. And so, you know, we're posting content in there all the time. Members are posting content. One day I'm looking at that group and I'm thinking, like, we're, we're already putting content in there. Like, how could we get paid for that? And so we started, we call it Shark Bites. But it's just, we have someone on our team go in, pull out all the most popular posts, the content we put in there, and they just put it in a PDF newsletter, and then we sell a subscription to that. So, you know, for- That's for, beautiful sawdust. Yeah, for, so for 10 bucks a month, you get, like, all the happenings in the Facebook group for a month. You don't have to be in there, all that stuff. So- yeah, it's a, I mean, it's such a great, great technique and you can apply it to so many different businesses and whatever anybody's doing. Yeah, it's awesome. I love sawdust. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, why don't you let our list, so where can listeners go to pick up Confessions of a Persuasion Hitman? Yeah, so you can go to, I mean, it's on Amazon, but it's, I think we're, it's supposed to be $20. I think it's 15 right now. But if you go to my site at uh, just persuasionhitman.com, it's free. You just cover the shipping and the shipping is only $5.89. Uh, and there's also an audiobook version there and an ebook as well. But persuasionhitman.com is definitely the best place to go and get the, uh, the book for the least amount of money. Okay, awesome. And I'll make sure on the show notes, I'll put a link to that. And I'll put links to the other things Ian mentioned during this episode, the Almost Passive Income Challenge, the Sawdust, all that stuff. We'll have links on the show notes page. So Ian, I really, really do appreciate you taking time out of your day. Yeah, man, it's super fun. Yeah, yeah. You have to teach me some magic someday. You got it. You got it. All right. Well, guys, thanks so much for listening to this episode of What's the Secret Podcast. And I will see you on the next episode. Aloha, everybody. Once again, thank you so much for carving out the time to hear what was shared on today's podcast. If you found it helpful, then please share it with someone else. Just simply share the link or post it on Facebook and say, check this out. Really make my day if you did that. Also, make sure you subscribe if you haven't already so every podcast gets sent straight to you and you don't have to go searching for it. Again, my name's Tom Gaddis, and I'll see you next week on What's the Secret Podcast. Aloha for now, everyone.